Okay, welcome to the first episode of Opportunity, where we give you music, opera, everything music, everything opera, and of course, some tea. On today's episode, our first episode, we will be interviewing the co-creator and host, Yvonne Maria Feliciano. So without further ado, we will get right to it. All right, let me take a, take a sip real quick. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, first question: Where were you born? Ooh, where was I born? <laughs> I was born on the southern. I'm joking. No. <laughs> I am from. I am from a kind of, um, I guess, rural city in Connecticut, um, Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, I was ba- uh, raised and born there. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much your average New England home. The weather is the weather, the seasons are the seasons. But yeah, so that's pretty much, I was born in Waterbury, Connecticut. Connecticut, our neighbor. So what is your favorite word? I know, interesting question, right? What's your favorite word? (laughs) Okay, so my favorite word would have to be and I'm going to tell you why, of course, is, is dingbat. <laughs> it literally is dingbat. And I, um, I say this because um, it is in reference to my mother. Um, my mom is a very colorful, animated individual. I'll just say that because most likely she's going to hear this and I don't want her to kill me. But um, (laughs) my mom, instead of being one of those parents that use profanity, my mom would select kind of these words and then it just became like comical over time. She never called me a dingbat. It specifically was for my younger sister. (laughs) So it was always like, Tyra, you dingbat. (laughs) So... I like that. I literally, I think I'm feeling that. Sorry, mom, I'm stealing your word. (laughs) So it literally, it still makes me, you know, crack up because even like I think Thanksgiving passed, and I'm pretty sure my mom threw dingbat out. So, (laughs) (laughs) so it's definitely dingbat. I love that word. Okay, so in general, what is your let's say top three turn offs? Like in general, like could it be like across uh, that, the spectrum? Across the spectrum, it could be you know people chewing too loud, uh, oh, bad breath. Oh. You know. All right, so this is interesting because normally somehow I am always deeply annoyed about something, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, if those who know me, <laughs> but um, I would have to say uh, the first thing of annoyance to me is. Um, I would have to say New York drivers. That's the number one. Like, I'm sorry, um, I am from Connecticut. So um, when we get our, our licenses, um, it's a hard test. It's a very hard exam. It is not, I've seen people literally, I don't, don't mind me going off this little tangent, but um, I know someone who uh, was going for their license and I mean, mind you, he practiced. He practiced. I mean, I helped him. And um, on his driving test, it was in Queens. And, um, you know, he drove off and I'm in the car. I'm like, oh, Lord, he need a prayer. So, you know, I was in there. I'm praying a little bit. 
And then I see him come back, right? And it was in the summer. So his windows are down. And so I hear the instructor say, can you turn right here and park in this spot? This boy, oops, (laughs) this person, (laughs) this person parks in three spots. Not one, one time. not two, but three. Okay. Three slanted. And then the driver, the instructor is saying, just turn the car off. So I'm literally in my car and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to hear the, I'm not going to hear the last this all the way home. Like, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's, I didn't even take the test. When I'm telling you they were in the car for a minute and I was like, oh, he's probably letting him know about other schools and everything. And he comes back to the car and he passed. Now, I'm sitting over here thinking that, you know what? That instructor was a dingbat. <laughs> it was a dingbat. There we go. That, there you go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, he was a straight up dingbat. Because when I'm telling you, I was seeing all these people get their licenses. You know, I was just confused. So my number one annoyance would be New York drivers. Sorry for the long elaborated story. But, well, you heard me on the phone the other day when I was driving, so you have no complaints <laughs> about about, uh, about that from me. You heard me on the phone, so you can only imagine. All right, moving mm-hmm. right along. <clears throat> Interesting question. What profession other than music would you like to attempt, and why? And then what would you one would that you would not like to attempt, and why? Okay, so. I consider myself and have been told once or twice that I am somewhat of a Renaissance man. Um, I like to have my hands involved in a lot of different things, not at the same time, but I love to acquire some type of skill or I love to basically read and like decipher things and, and understand why things are the way they are to like my best ability. So I would have to say that that would lead me to go into the world of archaeology oh. or a museum curator because I have such a love for history um, and artifacts. Like my my Instagram, if you go to the search page, it literally is like Egyptian art, um, jewels from other countries, religious works. Like it's just it's full of just a whole bunch of things you would literally see in the museum. So, and that's always been my dream. Um, literally, like I was going to the pediatrician and she's like, what do you want to be when you grow up, Yvonne? And I'm like, I want to be an archaeologist. And she's looking at me like, who, who, who is this? Yeah, who is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, as for what I wouldn't want to do is I wouldn't want to do anything that is me um, servicing the public like dealing with the on a daily basis, um, I would just be, um, yeah, that would just be a, a nightmare for me. Like that would be hell for me. There's just no way. So yeah, it's that. <laughs> completely understand. Worked like that for years of my life, so I completely get it. All right, moving right along. What is your vocal classification, if any? Well, this topic is very... Um, I don't think about it often, but um, unfortunately, because of our industry, um, you have to. But I am categorized as a countertenor, which is a high male voice, the highest of the male voices. Um, 
And I've heard certain countertenors use like whether it's Sopranos, um, Alto, Contralto. Um, I like it better and how I would appreciate it better is if your voice type goes before countertenor. I think that that's something that kind of would mirror how we considered, you know, 17th century, 17th century singers, which a lot of countertenors sing their repertoire. Um, kind of you would see soprano castrato. So why not have soprano uh, countertenor or contralto okay. countertenor? So it's just kind of like it still fits into, you know, that tessitura of the voice. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay, and also, I guess I'll, to piggyback on that question, if you had to put it in a fach as far as um, light, lyric, uh, spin tone, dramatic, which one would you consider yourself? Oh, that's even hard. <laughs> okay, so I have I have a bit of a problem. Um, my specific countertenor voice is not a small voice. Um, so I have gotten the word dramatic um, attached to my name a lot. Um, and, and specifically now that I'm in school. Um, and the thing that I am aspiring to add to the new dramatic is a coloratura after. <laughs> so being a dramatic coloratura countertenor, I feel is something that I accept that identity. <laughs> Perfecto. Okay, so I guess to piggyback off that again, how did you know you were a countertenor as opposed to uh, maybe a tenor with a very, very high register or something like that? Um, I would have to say, I mean, when we go through puberty, you know, the voice shifts and it breaks. And, you know, there are cases where it doesn't and there are cases where they, it shifts late. And then, you know, I do believe that there are male singers out there that have high voices that if they have continued singing that way, you know, as life progresses and whatever they decide to do with music, I, I've, I feel that it's some type of reinforced, um, now you've built it into the voice. So I think, I don't know, that's really difficult, Terrence. I mean, you don't have to, you know, there's <clears throat> just something to ponder on. What, so basically, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so basically it's, you're asking me, when did I know I was one? Oh, well, I, I guess that would be a fair, uh, a better question. Okay, so when I knew I was a countertenor or I was a, a male that had a high, a, a very unique high voice was in the sixth grade. Um, it was in a course class uh, in middle schools, in all middle schools in Connecticut, I'm pretty sure any schools over the world, like you have to take a music course. Like it was recommended for each year you were there. So I was surrounded by music like really early. Um, and there was this one day we were singing, I forget the choral piece, but the Sopranos had such a beautiful line as they always do because they're always given the melody. Amen and, to and I was just so enamored with what we were listening to and singing that I was mimicking the girls and I was mimicking almost the entire year until the one day that he was walking through and he heard me singing it, I was scolded actually. Um, you know, boys don't sing that. You know, you sing with the boys, you don't sing with girls. 
And when I see how damaging that is, as you know, especially coming from an educator, I mean, <laughs> now they probably wouldn't get away with it. But I mean, this is like, this is in the 90s. So um, it was difficult to be under that. It's like I knew the identity. And ever since then, because I do feel I have a rebellious tendency sometimes, well, some, most times, um, I said, I'm going to continue singing this way. And you're going to listen to me regardless. And so, yeah, that's when I knew. That's interesting that you say that because educators would know that they are very, you know, especially, you know, on our brother continent of Europe, you know, the, it was standard practice, Vienna Boys Choir, you know, all kinds of English boy choir. So it's interesting that here that they didn't encourage you. Like, you know, I was in, I come from a boy choir background. So to tell somebody that they're not supposed to sing high because they're a boy, I mean, it, ignorance at its finest. But I digress. <laughs> We're going to leave yes, it alone. Yes. Um, so what was the very first aria that you sang? Ooh. <laughs> um, the very first aria I sang was uh, Bellini's Vagaluna. That was my very first aria. Really? Um, and it, it was, oh my gosh, you should have seen uh, my recital singing that aria. So I'm going to throw this out there too. I have not been one of those um, people who always had kind of like classical music in my life. Mm -hmm. I knew it existed, you know, I grew up Catholic, so a little bit of kind of what I consider classical is really not classical, but um, I grew up listening to that. So I had kind of this false, ooh, I had kind of this false understanding of what classical opera was. So I um, was originally going to school to be a vet and um, I, that didn't work out because then I was like, I want to become a physician. And so I went to this school and I was on my way to be like a geriatric physician. And um, I auditioned for choir. Long story short, I had no idea of what it was. So when I performed that Vagaluna aria, <laughs> I'm walking into the, we didn't have a student center, but it was like somewhere by our cafeteria. It was, we didn't even go there about that. But um, they literally was having juries in there towards the end like you know what you've presented for the semester and everyone's wearing these suits <laughs> and these beautiful gowns and hairs done up and we're in florida and it's hot so and i didn't know what i was really getting into so you know i walked in with my little shorts on little flip-flops <laughs> you know i had a little sure. <laughs> I, I remember i had a bright pokemon t-shirt on um <laughs> Pikachu on the front. Uh, and, uh, and I literally sang my first jury, <laughs> that aria in that in that get up. And when I'm telling you, um they all when I walked in, the shock. <laughs> the shock. But the better shock was once I started singing. So it was a it was a really good experience. It was my first attempt to opera and yeah, looking back at it, I would love to even maybe pick it up kind of singing in this hawk because I sing that as a tenor. So it'll be interesting, actually. Oh, that's interesting. So at this moment, we're going to take a, a brief break and we'll mm -hmm. let you get a sound clip of Mr. Yvonne singing some Albanoni and then Ooh. we'll be back.
All right, we are back. <clears throat> so, have you always wanted to be an opera singer? Um, no. Um, I've always wanted to be something in the medical field. Um, my mom uh, has been working in a hospital as well as my father. Um, my my mom actually, it's, it's such a funny story because my mom... Um, has always been, and I mean, still is, you know, is, is a very big inspiration in my life. Um, being a woman of color and having to overcome so many obstacles, specifically living in Connecticut. Um, my mom has come over a lot of adversity, um, specifically with education. Um, very smart woman. And she doesn't realize that I always aspired to be as smart as her. So I also, I guess, reading a lot of medical things and, and trying to, and, and understanding things early, that was kind of like my, um, like my jumpstart into like, I need to do medicine and like, what's the best for my mom to make her proud, become a doctor. So <laughs> that was like my first aspiration. Okay. All right. So, who would you consider your favorite voice teacher? Ooh. Um. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> this is easy. This is easy. I say that because I've had a few. My favorite voice teacher would have to be Mrs. Maria McDonald, who was a my first voice teacher. You know, we all have our first vocal mamas. If they are out there, salute. We salute you all, <laughs> the good ones. Um, she, I went into this school not knowing how to read music, knowing what a ledger line was, where the note names are. Um, and her and her husband really took me under their wing. Um, they even created like a class for me to learn the rudiments. And um, and then put me in theory with like these musicians, like literally that have been reading music their entire lives. So that that thought of like intimidation. But um, she helped me along the way. She always encouraged me. She made me feel smart in something I knew nothing about. Um, and the most important thing is is that she saw how unhappy I was singing tenor she realized that you know not saying i had I, I thought i had a very beautiful tenor voice um and i mean it must have because they they saw it they i they made me switch out of a major to move into music they were the ones who hey we think that you're not following your true path like you are talented in this and you know we just see that spark in you and um she was all behind that. But going back to the countertenor thing, she saw how unhappy I was. And, you know, she really was, I think we're gonna have a talk about it. And, you know, being a countertenor at the school we went to and the dormitories, we used to have a music suite. And it was so nice because it was like everybody in the suite. It was a, literally a four bedroom and we all, it was six of us. So two people in a room. Um, it was so dope. We had a, our own bathroom, living room. It was such a dope campus. And, um, they would always hear me sing in the shower. <laughs> and I'm guilty of that. <laughs> and one day, 
somebody knocked on the door because this was a not a co-ed dormitory this was a catholic school so women were not allowed to be in the male dormitories that was a big eh, eh, you're in trouble um i mean people have gotten caught that's another day but um but um they an ra knocked on the door and said is there a girl in this room because we hear oh there's a woman singing like you know they're like no that's ivan (laughs) or yvonne and it's just so funny because I went up to her and I said, hey, Mrs. McDonald, I could do this crazy thing where like I can imitate you. And, you know, she just looked at me and she's like, all right. right. <laughs> she opens up the piano. We go up a scale. She takes me to a high D. Woo. And at, at this time, I'm just like, you know, of course, my throat is like, what she wants? How has she kept telling me to go? Like, this is so weird. She grabs another professor. And I, mind you, I didn't know this woman's first name. Like she was just known Professor Osterman. So it's like, I was in the total shock. Like, she's like, Becky, you have to listen to this. And I'm like, Becky, like, I'm just like out of all names, Becky. Like, <laughs> I thought at least with a last name of Osterman, I was gonna hear like, you know, like Brumhilda Osterman, but oh, instead, <laughs> instead it was Becky, like, but anyways, hi, Dr. Osterman, <laughs> but, um. <laughs> She literally uh, sat down and she's like, do the same thing you did before. And I literally go up the scale and I'm singing and then Becky's eyes gets huge. And then they just like, all right, go do what you need to do. The lesson's over. I need you to come back. My husband needs to hear this because her husband was the chair. He hears it. And then they're just both amazed. And then from there, it's like, I started singing countertenor. So, and thanks to her. So she's my favorite voice teacher, hands down, hands down. None of them compare. Um, unfortunately, I don't use a lot of the techniques she taught me <laughs> anymore. <laughs> it's been so many years, but thank you, Mrs. McDonald, for, for, for just being there and being the advocates and just the, the teachers that have just a great sense of humility and compassion and empathy. More, more you're truly, yeah, more, yeah, you're more. It's thank you, thank you <clears throat> from the bottom of my heart. So, to piggyback off that question, could you speak about, um, uh, I guess mainly from a technical aspect, your switch from tenor to counter tenor, like if any, um, oh, I love this, any difficulty or was it easy or oh, okay, so this is this is the crazy part, okay, and this is what I want to talk about even with it's just like from a, a physiological aspect. When I was singing tenor, and this was like in a chamber choir, Dr. Dr. McDonald, the chairman at the at Ave Maria University, he's not there anymore, but at the time when he was there, he would make me sing with the altos. I never really understood why. It's like when I saw that tenors would break at the sea, I'm like, why don't they just, there's a shift. There's like an easy shift. I don't understand why they're capping out. And he would hear that. And he's just like, you know, Yvonne, can you please sing with the altos during this line? Cause they need help or Yvonne can. And then I think that's when the wheel started turning like, wait, I could sing that. And I know I could sing those girls all the way at the end. I could even get up to them. So um, I think as a tenor, I don't feel like I already have like a deep voice. Like I feel it's like a middle sounding voice. It's not too high, not too low, but I feel like it just sits kind of maybe a little above 
average high on the side, but it depends. And when I knew that that tenor voice wasn't like a real voice, like it's just like, yeah, it's chest, but I've, in my lessons, this is where I want to get to. My teachers, and I mean every teacher to the teacher I am in now, Terrence, they sometimes cannot tell if I am head or if I'm in chest voice. There is almost a switch that they just can't understand because I think since my voice is so connected to the top that it literally just sounds like one voice. There's certain countertenors I hear a break in a certain spot and it's like, okay, now they're singing kind of like super heady, like, you know, instead of kind of like in that modal register or like in some type of like, you know, chest down. So when I noticed that the break wasn't where it was supposed to be, and then they would even tell me, you know, you have the same breaks as women in the, when you are in the soprano register and that tessitura that sits there, you have the same issues that a lot of women have. And they were just like, this is interesting because I don't get a lot of countertenors that I, I hear that. It's like they still cap out kind of like as a tenor would. So I literally... Um, I could honestly say, Terrence, I've at this point now, like if I was to sing tenor, I would just feel like I'm singing like a really low alto note <laughs> at this point. I'll take that. Okay. So <clears throat> what would a dream role be for you and why? Ooh, this is difficult. Um, one, because probably the opera I'm going to choose is it an opera that's done a lot? So a lot of people won't probably get an idea to be like, oh, that's so great. Um, my dream role, and I know, my dream role is to sing, it was Mozart, I'm not gonna lie. I have been so captivated by Mozart's early operas and I know me and Terrence we've always gone back on this and you recently gave me your opinion and I remember the text and you're just like this opera sucks <laughs> well no to clap well I'll let you I'll let you tell them what it is and I'll tell you why I said it so I literally I was referred by another countertenor whom I shall not speak um you should be looking at, oh, look at the role of Sifari in Mozart's Michuriate. And I'm like, okay. So I literally, you know, me hungry for information. I'm like Googling like Mozart's Michuriate. <sighs> I really can't find it on IMSLP. All right. Baron writer, order, sin, mail, gotta look. So like, you know, I get the book, I look at the role and I'm just like, ooh, these high B flats. I'm like, yes, this is what I've been wanting. I've been wanting to kind of stretch it out up there and so-and-so, because he told me that a lot of um, countertenors do not take on the role of C fighting because it really is, I mean, if you don't got those continuous high B flats, I mean, especially like in the, um, I think it's the third to last aria, um, his Ciel Rigor aria, when he is just upset I mean, he is pissed. And it's like, he is like sustaining these high B flats, doing some crazy runs, then, you know, having all these sequential 
measures and just beautiful music that I was just like, I want to just play C-Fuddy. I want to be the first countertenor to play C-Fuddy and, and to just raise our standard to really kind of showing that our voices are just more than just these lower voices, you know, that they come in all shapes and sizes. So C-Fuddy it is, and I'm going to be doing it one day. So whether I got to put it on myself. <laughs> existence. The reason I said I did not like Mitridate was it be from a um, a togetherness point of view, most of the arias happen by themselves. So you don't really sing. I like, I like to sing with people. I like to do duets and trios and that opera doesn't have, I think it has maybe two duets. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. why it has some beautiful. Now, if you need some good, um, some arias, it has some gorgeous arias for uh, tenors, for sopranos, for high counter tenors, even for I think mm -hmm. there's a, a role that's a little slightly lower, but um, yeah, it's a good opera. I just personally wouldn't, not my, not my cup of tea. But um, mm -hmm. okay, so to piggyback on that question, what role would you, if you saw it on your contract, you were like, no, I'm not singing this. I don't like the role. It does not show off me vocally. It, I don't like the character. What role would you just say uh, automatic no to? My role that I would automatically say 100% no to is Julius Caesar. And I'm going to say this because for number one, and being a very, I don't want to say snobbish type Baroque person, because I am not. I will give you information for free. We could have a talk, a discussion, trust me. And I love to hear different outside opinions. But I have always been told, oh, you're a countertenor? Julius Caesar is where it's at. And I'm just like, you know, I go, I listen to the music. And mind you, it's a beautiful opera. I mean, there hasn't been an opera by Handel that I've ever thought that, oh, this, this is horrible. And when I'm listening to it, I'm saying to myself, you know, Caesar isn't something that I would aspire to. I see that so many countertenors fight over it. To me, it's like it sits in that part of my voice where it's that it sits a little lower. My voice feels, I feel most comfortable singing. Give me a Dia, Ia, F, and a G then I feel like I'm alive. I feel like I'm like, I could sing this all day and then I'll give you the extension up and down if you need it. So when I hear countertenors sing it, to me, it just sounds like they're just in pain. Like it just, you know, I just feel like as well with them too, they're probably a middle voice countertenor that has shifted their voices to sing that kind of lower in the register type music. And I say, you know, let the mezzos have it. Give that to the mezzos. We'll take Ptolemaio. So that's that's the thing. If I was to do Julius Caesar, I would aspire for Sesto. But because of my stature, and I think because a lot of him, most of the time he's played as like a young child, which I think it should just still just, you know, he's the son of, you know, Pompeo, he just died. So it should be like a grieving almost in that warrior heroic type. But I guess like we take it in translation as kind of like, a young boy. So um, I was, I would aspire for Sesto, but my heart tells me, especially after the sorceress, uh, Ptolemeo, um, I feel like since I don't like the opera, let me be the one who's kind of wrecking things up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let me throw the wrench in and give you what you want. <laughs> so we say no to, Ju uh, to Julio Cesare. Okay. Goodbye. 
what attracted you to Baroque opera? Oh, all right. So I'm going to now sound very, very, um, a little different now. Um, I think we had to talk about this last, no, it was a few days ago. Probably, yeah, and probably. Um, Baroque opera to me, and specifically the harpsichord, um, it was something, and I believe, of course, the first Baroque piece I've ever heard definitely was something adagio or definitely something lento, something that was kind of like pulling at the heartstrings. And I think I was going through like some tumultuous time in my life. And um, I start, I don't know where it was, maybe like something on my, um, on a movie or something, you know, like a movie still play classical music in the back and you're just like, ooh, that's pretty if you're not familiar with it. And for some reason, you know, like when you get those thoughts in your mind, whatever I was going through and was just at a low, I just felt like to me, like I heard God telling me at the time, everything's going to be okay, you know? And while that music was playing. And then I felt such an attraction to that moment that it was almost like a wedding band, like, <laughs> and my heart just went off like poof. Like you will be in love with this moment, this scene. And I think about that, that moment and still to this day, I still can't figure out what was playing. Maybe that's why I look for so much music because I'm like, let me find out what that was. But um, I feel like I hear God in music, specifically in Baroque music. Like when I listen to Baroque music, I get a sense of, of longing, a sense of nostalgia. Like for some reason, this is so familial to me that even if, you know, I don't get to where I want to be in life or I don't make it, I feel like regardless, that will always have a home in my heart. Like, I literally could be listening to some aria from the Baroque period. And even if the singer isn't, you know, a great singer, the expression in the music will like drive me to tear up or, and people are like, what's going on over there? Like, I'm just like, it was just a pretty line. Like, you know, just let me have a moment. So it just feels like it's just, it is who I am. It is a major part of my identity. Like, you know, don't get it twisted. Like <laughs> I'll flip it up while you on my Spotify playlists, but <laughs> um, Baroque, definitely, if you looked at my like songs on my Spotify, there is like over maybe like 4,000 Baroque pieces. Like you're just swiping up, 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 all Baroque. So, yeah. <laughs> I think the, f <clears throat> I don't know the first Baroque piece that I heard. It was probably something Bach, but uh, opera, I'm gonna say, it was either Semele or Xerxes. I can't remember which one it was, but I know mm -hmm. it was one of the two. I just, it's been so many years, I can't remember which one it was, but perfectly fine. Okay, moving right along. Do you feel there should be more Baroque opera performed? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I think that that's like a huge thing that this country, specifically America, because Europe is already catching on to the game. They're seeing that Baroque opera is more inclusive um, you don't really need these huge kind of generic voices that a lot of the major opera houses are always in demand for. Um, it's just a place of unique timbres, a place for people who feel as if, you know, I don't really fit in 
to the status quo, let me look at this type of repertoire because there is something here. And I just feel that we are lacking that specifically in our in our in our schools. We're lacking that in our history. Like I think that when people think of opera, like the first opera I remember them ever like playing at my my middle school was Carmen. And I'm just like, what is she doing? Like she reminds me of my Thea Margie, like, you know, when <laughs> when our friend used to come over. So I'm just like, <laughs> like, what is she doing? Are they smoking? You know, but um I just think that my my love of um, Baroque opera and I just wish it just was more accessible. I feel like there's just a rich repertoire of music that's just waiting for all these unique voices we keep saying no to in our country when they could be getting a whole bunch of yeses and truly finding who they are as singers, what they identify with and know that there's a plethora of roles that unimaginable, like think about the thing we're doing, like you're about to be like Paneo, like like <laughs> the Greek god of rivers, like you're literally about to take on a role of a god. So I just think that there's just more opportunity there that should be, should be, you know, widespread, widespread. And we're, uh, we're gonna do, um, all you listen, we're gonna do a full uh, episode on Baroque operas and Baroque music, and Ivana is gonna catch us up on a lot of stuff, and we're gonna uh, talk about that in contrast to classical operas and romantic operas. So don't worry, I know you know we'll, we'll go more in depth um, at a later time. So mm -hmm. moving right along, do you feel <clears throat> that countertenors are misunderstood? Yes, I feel. Well, actually, I'm gonna say yes and no. Um, at the time when I found out I was a countertenor, yes. Um, it is, I've had, I want to say about a handful of people who ask me why I sing the way I do. Um, as if I am pretending, as if I am just doing it for attention. Um, you know, it literally, it's a, it's a, it's a touchy subject. I mean, I'm not so much offended by it, but I feel that a lot of countertenors um, would have to probably say yes, that it is something that we are misunderstood, especially in our community, because I think that, you know, you know how most singers have rivalries, like, you know, either a soprano or a mezzo. So it's like either, especially with a mezzo and an extension, she's like, I could sing you and oh, I could sing your low notes. It's kind of this competitive nature. And I think with countertenors, we really don't fit into kind of competing with anyone. And I don't even want to say with the mezzos is because it is such a unique voice. It is such a voice that has, I feel, mis has been misunderstood. Um, but I feel like there needs to be more, more education on countertenors amongst our peers and amongst people in our, um, in our industry. I most definitely agree. I think within recent years, you know, the, the, this, uh, generation and our serving of countertenors that we we have now is very different because 20 uh 30 years ago you know the countertenors that we had they weren't singing high they weren't singing you know now i don't know if they wanted to and weren't given the opportunity but they weren't singing high mm -hmm. the first countertenor i ever heard sing like high like that 
I told you when we were in when I was in Lake George mm-hmm. and we were doing um, a Midsummer's Night Dream, he came out with Titania and went up to a high eight and then followed with a hobby flat. And I was like, whoa. Um, but outside of him, maybe maybe Dave, David Daniels started to. Oh, yes. Oh, you're talking about you're talking about Robert Crumb. Yeah, Robert Crumb. I can't remember his name. But yeah, yes, maybe Robert David and- Daniels play with the register a little bit. But yeah, you know, mm-hmm. this generation that we have now. Oh, it's uh, I mean, these voices are just gorgeous and they sit high without strain. We we have mm-hmm. kind of tenor sopranos, we have kind of tenor mezzos, we have kind of tenor altos. It's just a beautiful thing. Honestly, I don't think, you know, we've had this group of counter tenors that sang this way in a long time. Yeah, I think that um we definitely, and I know I do, I definitely have a sense of respect and um, I do feel like, specifically, even just to backtrack a little bit um, about Robert Crow, um, it's so funny that you got to experience him in a performance, but I personally, and I want to say thank you, Robert, <laughs> if you listen to this, um, Robert Crow and I exchanged messages, like, there was like one year, it was almost as if like, like a dear friend. Like, you know, someone, it almost made me feel, and Robert, I, I really do hope you do hear this. It almost made me feel kind of like that love that like Farinelli and Mustacio had. Like that brotherly kind of caro amico, like you're my best, my dear friend. And whenever I needed advice, he's the one who pushed me on to um, Pierre Totsi's um, 17th century, 18th century um, book on florid singing and technique. And he was just always pumping knowledge in me. Like, look at this, look at that. To the point where he actually tried to get me a gig with him, um, performing some oratorio with Boston at one point, but I was in Florida at the time. It was a huge mess and I was broke. So um, I couldn't take that that opportunity. But these countertenors of today, we have a lot to be grateful for. And I know for a fact, even um, Mr. Reagan, um, I really kind of didn't get a chance to get to talk to him, um, Brian Osawa before he passed, but um, John Holiday, um, these countertenors that I admire and look up to, even if we share different timbres, even if we, diff- we share different size voices, um, you are my brothers, whether you guys like it or not. Like we are the ones, and there's such a small group of us holding these torches to kind of, you know, say, hey, we're at the table too. We should be a respected voice just like anyone else. Um, we owe a great debt to you. And I, I want to also say thank you. You know, um, thank you. We need you. We needed you. We still continue to need you. And, you know, I know other counter colleagues of mine, you know, I feel I have a duty to grab the next ones behind me because the way that they're coming, I'm sorry, Metzos, but you will be out of business. <laughs> no, we can't put the metals out of this. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. I love you, ladies. I love you, ladies. <laughs> Even though you don't like me, I love you, ladies. <laughs> that was funny. Okay, so moving along. Well, kind of the same uh, area of topic. If you had to pick three, who would be your top three counter tenors <clears throat> throughout? Ooh. 
you know, span of time. And we can't, no Farinelli, no, that's cheating. Well, he's a well, okay. anyway, right? He was, he was yeah, he's a castrato. That's okay. I was just like, ooh, yeah, I got some questions there. <laughs> um, I would have to say my first countertenor that I would have to say is my top, number one top right now would have to be still Derek Reagan. And I'm going to tell you why. I'll, like, I, I really want to spend time on this. Even though I was supposed to have lunch with Derek and we never was able to have it, Derek, you still owe me a lunch date. I'm still waiting. Chick-fil-A, please. No, no, I don't want no Chick-fil-A. He looked like he can help. He looking good too, dude. Well, just bring me a frosted lemonade. Just bring me a frosted lemonade. That's all I want. <laughs> I would, I would have to say, Mr. Reagan, because one, being a countertenor of color, and traveling to Europe and becoming, and you being this star revival. Like I understand, like Alfred Deller gets a lot of like you know credit, like oh Alfred Deller, who I do not think he was a real countertenor. That's another story. But um, Derek brought life. It was almost as if Baroque was just a blank slate, black and white. And Derek came and just touched it and it blossomed into a painting. And I say this because music started getting pumped out, like, fast with Derek. Like, Derek ended up getting a movie deal for Farinelli, which is a, an awesome movie. Um, and when I would look for Baroque repertoire, his voice was always the one I was always attracted to because I'm like, oh my gosh, like he has a colorful voice. I have a colorful voice because unfortunately, and this is all to y'all shade and I'll probably get, you know, some slack for it, but our, um, our, our non-colored countertenors of color, um, they don't, I feel... We have different sounds. I'll just say that. We have different sounds. Just like, you know, and um, it wasn't something that I personally was attracted to at the time. Like, um, you know, James Bowman, uh, Michael Chance, there were some, you know, sometimes a little color would come out, but it was just very straight Tony to me. Very, um, just not my, not my style of music. I'm not taking a, any credit from them. They were amazing for the things that they've done and they also we stand on their shoulders too and they deserve you know their flowers as well but um Derek would have to be my number one um because Derek is what pulled me in and then my next countertenor is also someone who was very kind to me and referred information to me and always responded to me as Mr. John Holiday. um John Holiday, when I saw John Holiday, I was so so, so, so attracted to that voice. Like, I literally was like, I want to be just like John Holiday. Like, I literally, and mind you, like, the school I was going to, predominantly Catholic, like, they're showing me, like, no, 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 more Alfred Diller. And I'm like, I am not singing that. That's so, like, that's like a, like a Thanksgiving turkey, just, she knows a time. But, <laughs> just, you know, like, she's just like, oh, let's get rid of me. But, um, I think that John Holiday would always respond to my messages if I needed help or if I needed some some type of guidance. And I feel like it's it was just so much more than just ego that a lot of singers fall into those traps of ego. And I could see that 
when I even when I see John perform, I know he loves what he's doing. It's like I know those smiles. I know those, you know, that when you're relishing in something and that artistry, it's like you know it's so organic. So John Holiday, you helped me a lot too. You you really inspired me and you still continue to inspire me and um, you always will. So, you know, you are appreciated. And my third countertenor would have to be, this is difficult. Actually, I'm gonna give it to my boy, Randall Wong. Randy Wong, who some people know him by, um, he is a countertenor of a different caliber. He is the first countertenor, in my opinion, to really do um, the, there's a, a category of Vivaldi soprano cantatas. And I, I actually have owned the scores. I actually have been working on them um, to actually take on those. I mean, there's a high D, there's B flats everywhere, high C's everywhere. Um, and there's actually a recording of him. If you guys go on Spotify and you type in Randall Wong and type in like his name, go to his Vivaldi album and tell me that you're just like, wow, I've never heard a countertenor like this. And him being of Asian descent, um, I noticed that the Asian countertenors kind of have a color to them too. It's like a unique timbre, kind of silvery to me sometimes with like a shimmer, but then kind of, you know, it's different. It's, it's of a different, it's of a different color. And I, and I would love to see so many more. And I wish like, you know, we just really just had, I'm waiting for more countertenors of different ethnicities to really show up because right now I feel like it's either you're one or the other. It's either like you're, you know, a countertenor that is of color and a countertenor that is of, that's not. And um, I wish I could see more of my countertenors of color on stage. There's, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's some out there who, uh, who needs to be heard and should have already been implemented with their, their pictures at the Metropolitan Opera for their one Baroque opera every 50 years. <laughs> oh, we all leave that alone. Uh, where, where do you see yourself in the next year? Ooh, I see myself finally in Mexico getting some sun out of Corona-19. No, actually. Hopefully. <laughs> um, where I see myself in the next year is definitely in a place where I am more vocally confident. Um, I feel like I would have a few performances under my belt with something at least. And I think I see myself maybe preparing going to graduate school, even though I kind of really don't want to go because I'm tired of like the academic side of it. Like, just let me say. But um, that is something still that I'm considering. Because I really do, you know, I think when I'm older, I kind of maybe want to fall into the realms of musicology, but maybe just really being on like a historian level of like a Baroque historian and specialist and a curator and archivist. So definitely where I will be attending all those other Baroque performances when I'm old. And when I sit down, people are going to know who I am. They're going to be like, oh, he's here. Oh. We better make sure that the gestures are together. We better That's make right. sure that, you oh, know, it is, yes. you know, better make sure that our, our coloratura is clean and we're delivering emotionally and, and, you know, provoking the pathetic in everyone, you know, taking out 
you know, those worries of the day that you had. And at that moment, briefly, you weren't on earth. You were where you were in that opera house, in that scene of the, you know, as a spectator, you see everything. You are in that opera. You are included. So, yeah. Perfect. Okay, so transition. How did you feel about your recent victory in singing the sorceress and Mr. Purcell's Dido and <laughs> Well, I felt, I felt, I felt amazing. Number one. Um, I would like to give another shout out to Mrs. Nell Snyders because yes, Nell, we love you, Nell. We love you, Nell. Uh, you already and uh, Nell, I know if you've listened to it this far, I know for a fact you're just like, oh no, why did he do it? Because Nell, you are amazing. Um, Very much. This was my first opera, my first, first, first opera. I've done scenes before, but I'm talking about like from the start of an overture to the end of of you know a chorus. So I literally was nervous. I was scared because um, I haven't performed on stage in like years and been around people in years. I'm just like, like in that type of environment. And um, meeting Nell, I knew who she was because um, I would Apollo, um, Apollo's Fire, um, which is an amazing, amazing Baroque ensemble. And I hope to soon be singing with one day if you want to kind of come my way. But, you know, I definitely shout out to Apollo's Fire um, and Jeanette Sorrell. I love you. You don't know yet, but we're best friends in my head. Um, I'm a good cook. Um, and um, I really was just in a place of this is happening. This is gonna, you know, be what I've wanted for so long. So I feel still on a high. Like I literally, right now beneath this laptop is my Dido poster, and I'm like looking at Dido right now. And mine is, mine like, is on oh. the wall. Mine is literally right there on the wall. Yeah, no, I still have to frame mine. Like I'm like literally just, it's literally covered in plastic right now because I'm just like, this is not messing up. I put mine up, and then I'm gonna frame the program. Oh, okay. I'm gonna do mine now. Yeah, no. I literally, because I just want to, you know, and then of course, you know, my my roots now on my first performance is tied to Aaron Copeland School of Music, whether I like it or not. Which means that down the line, if Aaron Copeland School of Music, and I'm talking about the school, needs um, assistance for me with that music program, I would be more than willing to help those students get out of there with some some more knowledge and a more deeper love and appreciation for their craft. So yeah. <laughs> Perfecto. So right now we're actually gonna take a, a quick listen to hear Yvonne in The Sorceress. Alrighty. So we are back and we're getting down to the wire. So if you were stuck on an island, Ooh. you could only bring one CD. Mind you, one CD. You can't listen to any other any other 
music and no don't cheat no burning cds none of that okay wait so, so wait i can't wait wait you kind of you kind of uh phased out what can i bring because this is crazy <laughs> you only bring one cd right uh-huh. so no burning cds to make custom tracks none of that so it has to be mm. the cd or the or the the album as is which one only one would it be all right i'm going to tell you this because this is the first thing that literally came to my mind one, I don't even remember what CDs look like. Two, Stop. if I had to think the last thing that I remember on a CD is like my mom's Montel Jordan CD, like his Les well, Rye video. It could be an album. It doesn't have to be a CD. It can be like um, streamed whatever. Like for I'm listening, like, and I'm on this. How long am I on this island? Forever. No coming back. So I'm going to die. Is there sustenance at least? If you know how to chop trees down and kill animals. <laughs> All right. And I had to keep listening to this on replay on the island? Only thing you... You don't have to listen to it on replay, but that's the only... Outside of you creating your own music, that's the only music you have access to. Um, oh. Oh. That's hard. I definitely need something I could dance to because I'll be damned if I'm about to be on this island and I'm and I'm listening to something. I'm sorry, about, like I said, <laughs> Baroque is my heart, but not this time. Goodbye. <laughs> you gotta roll to the side. <laughs> no, I honestly would have to. No, it, would, it can't be anything present because I still need to kind of you know have some emotional feel to it. Um, I would say. Wow, that's hard. My mind is saying Tina Marie. Okay. I don't know. My mom has always been like a big Tina Marie fan. And me growing up, I always used to think she was black. I'm like, ooh, who this black lady? Who is she? She got the high notes. And that's that opera stuff. I'm like, ooh, okay, all right, Tina. Um, her LaDonna album. Like, okay. literally, my mom used to ask that. And I, I was right beside her like, all right, mom, where we going? <laughs> okay, so Tina Marie, it is. And yes. lastly, what advice would you give to an up-and-coming counter-tenor? Any words of encouragement, what to look out for, what to not look out for, what would you tell them? I would say to dig dig for information on repertoire and listen to what other counter tenors sound like who do not embrace that sound as your own get an idea in your head when you listen to it and let it sit and then you go in and then find your sound don't be construed to what you hear because I feel like with any voice, whether you're a soprano or a tenor or a bass, you sometimes lose your sound by trying to sound like other sounds that you hear. And that's why I feel there's so much struggle is that we have a whole bunch of voices negating from what they actually sound like. And just add in time, add in time. I feel it's the ones who take a time, that time to 
figure out what they like, what they don't like, what they aspire to do with that. I think it should be, you know, I think a voice teacher should be there to guide for direction. But I think that certain countertenors that specifically sing in a, in a higher tessitura should not have to be subjected to singing the standard rep. Um, that's why one of my goals too is to finally like create like a series of countertenor anthologies because I feel like out of the voice types all have their anthologies but for countertenors it's kind of like we have to kind of go through like a mezzo book or maybe a soprano book to kind of find repertoire and I think that if we have a book that's already prepared with roles and things that they should be looking at and roles that they should be consider kind of taking the reins back on and, and, and you know, kind of putting countertenors on the market with those roles so that there could be some type of, um, you know, bridge between countertenors and, and other singers. But that young countertenor would have to know as well too that you are a unique voice, but you are not, you know, you are a voice. You're a voice like anybody else's voice. Like it's just, you know, it's just, it messes with people's minds sometimes. And I think that that's what opera is supposed to do. It's supposed to have the wheels turning. Because I mean, just like, just to our, our, our sister contraltos, I mean, think about, you know, I always thought about like, do they get the same flack of like, you know, they sound like a man in certain parts or they're like, you know, it's like, I don't feel that they get that. And that's what kind of confuses me because I'm just like, even if you're thinking it in some gender idea or concept, um, it's just, it, 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 it makes me think sometimes, kind of like, is there just like some blatant discrimination for just men singing high? Like, where does that come from? Is there something rooted in even our industry that we're kind of not paying attention to from like, you know, this stigma or, you know, and I feel too, young countertenors gotta know, you gotta have thick skin. You have to have thick skin. You already know people are going to sit there and, and, and critique you a little bit harder because especially when now the cal the caliber that's coming out with countertenors, ooh, ooh, they got some shoes to fill. They gonna have some shoes to fill. But I think that the more that they listen to and the more that our societies kind of like allow kids and especially that are in a, a path for classical music to let them hear all these different types of voice qualities and vocal qualities that that'll still bring and like kind of like you know kind of make this voice that we've heard that was like eensy weeny kind of like you know being able to sing through like huge orchestras like I want to see a countertenor singing Wagner I want to see a countertenor singing Rienzi like I've had friends telling me that I should look at the role because of how piercing like you know the, the sound is and you know that's what I would say I would just say dig dig for information you'll find it you'll you'll always find it if you love it you'll find it agreed well all right ladies and gents we are done with our first episode um feel free leave comments ideas all of that good stuff um there's definitely more to come we don't have an exact schedule of when we're going to record because both of our schedules are kind of like uh, all over the place, but definitely you'll be getting some more episodes soon and very soon. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe, stay blessed. And just because your day is messed up, don't go around messing up somebody else's day. Okay. Please don't. <laughs> yeah.